I went through the stuff in our closet, my stuff in our closet. Jenny went through her own stuff. Um, I got rid of some clothes. I've been wanting to do that since before we moved because when we moved, it became painfully obvious to me, painfully because you can only carry so many hangers. And as a man, I try to carry a few more than I should. And uh, so it was painfully obvious to me that um, I had uh, too much, too many clothes, too much stuff. You know, I needed to get rid of some of it. So Jenny and I went through uh, our closet, and um, it was motivation because we put a different, uh, hung different rods and shelves and things, you know, and put those in there. And so we had to empty the whole closet uh, and to go through it. Uh, there seems to be a lot of cleaning up and organizing it stuff on now. Uh, that that's been out there. I think uh, you know a lot of the articles, news reports, and things I have seen have all been focused around the same person, Marie Kondo. Some of you are familiar with her. She is a uh, Japanese lady who wrote a few books on organizing things, and um, in fact, she has three books, and it's very interesting. I found that her three books have sold more than 11 million copies in 42 languages. So it's not just the people in the United States, apparently, that have this problem and need to take care of things. Uh, 42 lang- she also has a program on Netflix called Tidying Up. And uh, my seven-year-old granddaughter, Molly, watched this, the first episode, and uh, went in her room and cleaned her room and had uh, three bags of stuff that she got rid of. Um, just from watching this, um, they watched it over at the Oberlin house, and Michael went up and folded, refolded his clothes. Now, I will tell you, I watched the first episode, too, and I wasn't motivated to do either of those things. Um, I, I, in fact, I was looking at it, and I thought, what motivated a 7-year-old and a 10-year-old to do these things? I wasn't quite sure, but um, I saw a clip of her on, on TV going through the closet of a reporter that did the story. And she advocates emptying everything, piling it all up on your bed, which is a little, uh, you feel a little bit like a pig. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, um, because you had this huge pile of clothes that's yours. Uh, anyway, she, you know, that you go through it, and you go through it a piece at a time, and whatever doesn't spark joy is the way she says it. Whatever doesn't spark joy, you get rid of um, after the clip, the other correspondents asked her, is this system just good for clothes or is, you know, and is it good for other stuff? And they, they said, no, you know, the fact that she says you should apply it to everything, including books. And I came to find out she says you should have no more than 30 books. I thought, well, this woman is from, this woman is not of God. And um, <laughs> only 30 books. What kind of insanity is that? I have more than a stack of more than 30 books that I'm waiting to read. And so anyway, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, but you know, do it with things on your shelves, paperwork and everything. Well, I like that broader focus idea, but uh, my tax returns do not spark joy in any way. Uh, but I'm not also not getting rid of them. You know, I'm going to hang on to them you know, in case uh, you need them for an audit or something. Um, but here's the question, you know, as I was going through this. So how do we, how should we look at our stuff? We're going to spend four weeks and, uh, you know, looking at this subject of how we look at our stuff a little bit. Let's pray. And, and it's how we look at our stuff, how we use our time. Let's pray. And then we're going to get into this a little more. Father, thank you for, well, I, I think of the country in which we live. Uh, we, we have an abundance. We really do. 
even some of the poorest among us have have other things. And it's not that way in every country, we realize, but no matter a lot or a little, you've called us, uh, you address this in your word. So teach us that this morning we might grasp a hold a little bit more of the reality of what you want from us and how you want us to live, what it is you want us uh, to do and those things that really matter in life. Uh, so guide our thoughts. Um, when we begin to jump to conclusions, help us to be open to your word. When we begin to think we understand it all, help us uh, to put our guard down and our ears open and our heart centered on you. Uh, so use this time, use your words, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So over these next four weeks, I'm not going to give you any tips on cleaning out your closet other than just to say, it might not be a bad idea to do it. But um, what I hope is that we begin to all align our view, our opinion, our connection to everything, you know, to everything, the things we have as well as the things we wish we had or we're working to have, that we begin to align them with God. We're going to start today in Luke chapter 6. So if you want to turn there, Luke chapter 6 on page 946. In the Pew Bible, we see, drop down to verse 27. Uh, these verses, in these verses, Jesus is teaching. Uh, now a crowd came to hear Jesus as, you know, as they always, as always did. And there were some there looking for healing. There were others looking for other things. Now the section really starts back in verse 20. We're not going to start in 20. We're going to start in 27. And it continues through the end of the chapter. We're not going to continue through the end of the chapter. We're just kind of taking his middle section a little bit. And I'll share with you what grabbed my attention. Verse 27, Luke chapter 6, beginning of verse 27, it says, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from the one who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your, as your Father is also merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Now, I have titled this series, What's the Matter? Um, when I'm finished with this series, I may have a better title, but I don't right now, so that's kind of what we're going with. Um, take a look at the verses we just read. Now, when, when you look at those, we could do several sermons on this section. I could probably do all four weeks just on this section of verses here. But then I think we sometimes look at these specific things and we miss the overall thrust. 
So just take a step back, look at the overall picture of what he's saying there. Look at what, you know, what is it that connects all these things? I was looking at that and I was thinking, you know, Lord, this isn't just a series of rapid fire things. You know, what, what is it, you're, you know, you're teaching? When I look at them, when I look at them, this is what I saw that we need to grasp that this is a matter of lifestyle. That's the matter here. The matter is lifestyle. This is what he's talking to us about. The way we live, the way we go through life, our lifestyle. You know, it's, it's the lifestyle is a connection that I see is laid out in all of these verses, how we're interacting. Now, they're not commands. Jesus is saying this is the way we should live. This should be our lifestyle. Not something that you have to call specific attention to, but something that more and more gets to be just the way that we're, that we're living. When we have a relationship with Jesus, our lifestyle should set us apart from those who don't have a relationship with him. We have different motivations. We should have different motivations when we have a relationship with Jesus. It should affect everything. It's a matter of lifestyle, of how we live. All the stuff we have, you know, all of uh, all of that we have, and how we look at it all, how we manage it all, is our lifestyle. It's a huge, you know, at least a huge part of our lifestyle. And how we live for God is a matter of stewardship. Our lifestyle is how is how we are living out our stewardship responsibility before God. That's what our lifestyle is. Our lifestyle is how we are living out our stewardship responsibilities to God, the one who has given us all of these things. I came across a definition of stewardship that I like. It says, utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. And I thought, what a nice... What a nice picture. Utilizing and managing all the resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. Reminded me of, of Psalm uh, 24, verse 1. It says, The earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants, belong to God. Utilizing, managing all the resources that God provides. What does he provide? Everything. Everything in the world, you know, it's all, it's all from God. Now that's very inclusive. What falls outside of everything? That'd be nothing. You see, it, it, it includes everything. Nothing falls outside of our responsibility to use and manage. Notice what it says for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. It's all his creation. We are simply, you know, we are simply managers, stewards, of all he has made and provided for us. And our lifestyle is our response to our stewardship responsibility. Our lifestyle is simply our response to this stewardship responsibility that he has called us to. First Corinthians 10, <coughs> 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. The lifestyle described in the Luke 6 passage that we read, it's a lifestyle that reflects our belief that everything belongs to God. And as everything belongs to him, we need to utilize it. We need to manage his resources in a way that honors him. 
Just like this verse says here. Whatever you do, whatever, do everything. You know, you do, you, you're doing everything. Notice what it says. For God's glory. You know, you're doing it all for God's glory. Utilizing, managing his resources in a way that honors him. Jesus expects us to live this way. Jesus will enable us to live this way. And he says this lifestyle, in, in Luke 6 there, he says this lifestyle sets us apart from those who don't have a relationship with him. And this behavior is modeled by God himself. Notice what it says there, verse 35. <coughs> he says when you're living this way, you will be sons of the Most High. There will be that connection. There will be that bond. There will, there will, you will be sons of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Live the way that he's living, he said. Live the way that he's told us and live the way that he exam- that he exampled for us, that he lived out for us as an example. You know, it starts with a commitment to God. You know, it's, and when I say a commitment to God, I'm not talking about a casual recognition that he's God. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about that casual recognition, but a serious relationship with him. First Corinthians, second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter eight. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia during a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of generosity. I testify, there it is, on their, I, I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just what we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord. Then to us by God's will. They gave themselves especially to the Lord. To live as God calls us, we have to give ourselves totally to God. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about a relationship with Christ. When we're talking about a relationship with Christ, we're talking about giving yourselves totally to God. When we talked about, about communion and the fact that he died for us, it's not that we are working our way there. It is that we are trusting in what he, in his shed, in his shed blood, his broken body, his shed blood for us. There's that relationship with God. It's giving ourselves totally to God. Biblical stewardship, you know, the whole call to stewardship, it's more than what you put in the offering plate. It says that, you know, that they, they overflowed with the wealth of their generosity. They were sharing in the ministry of the saints. But it starts because of what they said there. They gave themselves especially to the Lord. And then to us. But especially to the Lord. It starts when you give yourself totally to Jesus Christ. The first thing you give to God is not your stuff, not your time, not your talents, not, not your not any of that. That's not the first. The first thing you give is yourself. And when you do that, the rest comes easy, more easily. When you're giving yourself totally to God, then the rest comes more easily. When Jenny and I first started dating, I would not have bought her a car. We've purchased cars for her since then. Because, you see, as that commitment was there, so was the giving. It's the same thing with God. It's, you, you, that commitment to God comes first. And when that commitment to him is there, 
When you give yourselves totally to him, then the rest of it, it's, it starts with that consecration to God. Now, after you give yourself totally to God, then you need to apply his principles to your living. If you've given yourself to him, you need to apply his principles to your living. Did you get that? Because I don't remember. Oh, there we go. Uh, John 13, verse 7. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. If you do them, if you actually apply them to your living. He says you're blessed if you actually apply these things to your living. Not if you think about them. Not if you memorize them. Now, those things are good. It's good to think about them. It's good to memorize them. But they're inadequate. They are inadequate. Memorizing Scripture is inadequate. Knowing what it says is inadequate if you don't apply it to your life. Doing them. Living God's Word brings blessing. Notice what it says. You are blessed if you do these things. These things that I told you, he says, you're not blessed to know them. You're not blessed to dissect them. You're not even blessed to do, you're blessed, he says, when you do them, when you live this way. Now, I'm going to very quickly, you see you got a lot of space in your outline there. Well, not empty space, that's the problem today. Um, a lot of space with words. Uh, I, I want to very quickly go through some of the blessings that come from a lifestyle that utilizes, manages all of the resources that God provides for His glory and for the betterment of His creation. Think of this as an overview. In the next three weeks, we'll unpack some of the stuff a little bit more. Uh, but uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You see, when it's a matter of lifestyle, it puts material wealth in biblical perspective. It puts material wealth in biblical perspective. Give yourself to God first. Seek Him. Seek His kingdom. His kingdom is living under His authority. Seek to live under His authority is what He's telling us there. Seek to have your lifestyle as one who is living under His authority. Seeking His kingdom. Seeking to get your life in line with what it's like to be his, what it is to have that commitment to him. Biblical stewardship helps us keep God number one in all we do, in everything. Now, God never promised to give us more than we need. However, he has promised to give us what we need. Our problem a lot of times is, is, is we struggle with this whole thing. We distort the differences between, between you know, needs and want. And, um, you know, we, we think we need all these other things. And really, they're, they're, they're just wants. You know, I mean, well, I can't spend too much time on that now. We'll, we'll pick this up uh, later. Matthew chapter 5 says, So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, <clears throat> leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You see, when, when, when we know that it's a matter of lifestyle, we know that giving is not separated from behavior. Our giving isn't separated from our behavior. Our giving should be an extension of our behavior. Our giving should be an extension of our lifestyle. You see, because it's a matter of lifestyle. And really, in, 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 for most people, giving is an extension of their lifestyle. 
That's not a positive statement, in case you were wondering. Um, you know, think that through. Um, God puts a high priority. He puts a very high priority on being consistent with the commitment we claim to have. If you're offering your gift, if you're giving something and you realize, hey, my behavior hasn't been good and, I, and there's something between me and a brother, go and get that taken care of, he says, because that's important. It's important that you live these things out. It's important that your behavior, that your lifestyle be correct. Luke chapter 16. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You see, when when it's a matter of lifestyle, it will be revealed in our spiritual commitment. It'll be we may not always like what it shows about our spiritual commitment, but then you see we have a chance to grow. When you know we have a chance, we have we have a chance to grow when when we realize that it's. I'm not exactly living out what I claim here. I saw a quote attributed to Martin Luther. He said, three conversions are really necessary, the head, the heart, and the purse. That would be your wallet. You know, I, I see some of you guys walking out with purses sometimes, and I give you the benefit of the doubt it's your wives, but that's a society thing. But notice what he says. Of the three, the purse is the hardest. Your checkbook and your calendar are your personal theological documents. They are personal theological documents for you because they indicate what you give first place to. They indicate and they show you, you know, if what you say about God, about our feelings toward God are actually true in your lifestyle. Because it's a matter of lifestyle. Matthew 6, 24. No one can be a slave to two masters since either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. You see, when it's a matter of lifestyle, it protects us against financial financial enslavement. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it to you again sometime because it's important that you really grab a hold of this. Debt is not your friend. You understand that? Debt is not your friend. I know, you know, some there's some wealth management people. I had one guy who wanted me to get life insurance policies, get him to a certain place, borrow all his money against his life insurance policies and invest it and do all these other things. <clears throat> what in the world? You know, and... Debt isn't your friend. Debt, debt, debt will in, encumber you. See, when, when it's a matter of lifestyle, it protects, protects us from financial enslavement because possessions will not be the driving force, even for a wealthy person. I ask myself every once in a while, what would I do differently? How would, why, what would change in my lifestyle if I had a lot of money? You know, what would be the difference? I don't want to buy any more clothes. I mean, I already cleaned that closet out. I still want to get rid of more stuff. I still think I have too much stuff in there. Uh, you know, but but I, I ask myself, you know, I, but you see, for a wealthy person, 
the possessions and, and, and things, you know, even for them, if their commitment is to God, then getting more stuff won't be the focus. It won't be the target. Because we realize that God's the source and our lifestyle and, you know, it'll utilize, it'll manage the resources that God provides instead of getting in debt, you know, and it will use it for his glory and for the betterment of, of his creation. Job lost all he had and he lost it rather quickly. You know, he had vast wealth and it was gone. And here's how he responded. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of Yahweh. His focus remained on God. First Timothy chapter 6. It says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. You see, when it's a matter of lifestyle, it gives me victory over materialism. Victory over materialism. Every time we give, it helps break the grip of things God doesn't want us to hold on to too tightly in the first place. <coughs> As I was going through and I was getting rid of some of these clothes, you know, sweaters, shirts and stuff, I said, well, I kind of like that. Oh, I kind of like that. Well, you know, I had to ask myself, well, you know, how, how much, how much do I, I actually even use these things? Uh, but it, it breaks that, that materialism syndrome of I've got to have more and I've got to hold on to everything I have. I, I you know, uh, we we don't, you know, we don't have to hold on to everything we have. Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. You see, when it's a matter of lifestyle, it strengthens my faith. It strengthens my faith. This is the only place in Scripture where testing God is spoken of in a positive way. In the other, in other places where it's talked about testing of God, it's, you know, it's how stupid you are to test God. Here we're told, that's a paraphrase. Uh, here, you know, we're told that testing God, you know, it's looked at in a positive way. And what he tells us is, you know, we put him first and he will take care of everything. He will take care of you. A couple of weeks ago, Ginny and I went to a uh, seminar about planning for retirement because I'm getting old. And, you know, and it, it's gotta happen. The seminar was at Purdue. Fort Wayne, and um, it, not a religious connection at all. Um, the the guy who put it on, to my knowledge, no religious connection at all. There was never even a mention of God there, uh, you know, at, at all in any way. The presenter told us the first thing you need to do for retirement, the first document that you need is a budget, a budget of what you know you're going to be having to pay for when you retire. Because you need to know how much money you're going to have to have so that you can retire. <clears throat> and so we look, you know, I look at this budget. You know, um, the very first category on the worksheet they gave us, the very first category on the worksheet they gave us was tithing. Which really caught my attention. I thought, isn't that interesting? Now, 
Nobody ever mentioned God there. This was never a religious thing. It was never put forth as a religious thing. I'm in, you know, I'm in Purdue University and, and, you know, and there's this whole thing there, you know, and then the very top thing was tithe, followed by mortgage, you know, and utility bills. And I thought, hmm, that's the, that's the place it should be. Cause you see the tithe, is what they were called to give to give to God and it, out of the first of everything that you receive. Now, they did it from their crops. And you think about this now. It does, it's not as real for us because it's not as impactful, I guess I should say. It's not as, it doesn't hit us as hard because for them, the first of the crops that came and they were they were to give a tenth. What happened if locusts came after that? They were in trouble. What happened if a drought came? What happened if fire came? What happened if too much rain came? And it'd be gone. The tithe was give, that was, was meant that they would give to God first, give Him first place in faith and in confidence and in trust that He would continue to take care of them. That He would provide more. Now we give and what we do is we, you know, if we tithe, we give a tenth and then, well, we still have 90% to horse around with. That's poor stewardship, by the way. Um, you know, the, you know, the, the whole picture for them was, was that, that it would be, you know, that God would provide all they need. Maybe we'll get more on that in weeks to come. First Chronicles. Because the time is still going. 29, verse 9. So it's after the people, this is after the people bought a, they bought a real generous donation. Uh, to build the temple. And it says, Then the people rejoiced because of their leader's willingness to give, for they had given to the Lord with a whole heart. King David also rejoiced greatly. You see, when it's a matter of lifestyle, it brings us joy to give. I was thinking through this a, a little bit, and um, it just reminded me, when we needed $30,000 to put a new roof on, on the sanctuary, or on the whole church, it wasn't just a sanctuary. We needed $30,000. And I remember being in a board meeting and, you know, we're talking about this thing. And, uh, actually there was a little project before that where they were, we were replacing the cement in back of the parsonage because they were falling in and it was going to be $6,000 and some change. And yeah, at that time, that was a lot of money for us to spend at, at one shot. And so we thought, well, you know, but we went and we did it. And then, you know, it wasn't too long after that the roof needed to be replaced. $30,000. We didn't have that just kind of sitting around. You know, and um, we, on the board, we thought, well, let's check and see if, about putting a metal roof on because a metal roof wouldn't have to be replaced as soon. And the metal roof was $100,000. We said, boy, those shingles look good. Uh, <laughs> so we needed $30,000. You gave so we didn't have to take out a loan. And that brought great joy, at least to your pastor, uh, and I think to the whole board. It wasn't too long after that that we needed $50,000 for more parking because the city says you can't just throw stone down there. You're bordered by residential neighborhoods. You have to pave it, and you have to put in sewers, by the way, and all that stuff. And so it cost us $50,000 to add that parking over there. And again, we didn't have, we didn't have $50,000 laying around. And you know what happened? Well, you do know what happened. You gave. And it was completed without a loan. And again, it brought great joy to me. And then we needed $80,000 to put in a lift. 
$80,000. Because the city, well, not only does, I mean, as you see, it was pretty extensive change to the building. Um, and the city requires, you know, handicap, when it's handicap accessible, you have to have handicap restrooms and all these other things. $80,000 to do just a lift project. That was after we changed some of the bathrooms. $80,000. And we looked at that as a board, and again, we thought, man, we just, we don't have this. And you gave, and it was completed without a loan. And I remember the very first Sunday that it was open. I believe we had a potluck dinner that day. Uh, but I remember Barb was able to get downstairs. And she said, this is the first time in I don't know how many years that I've been able to come down here. You better believe there's rejoice. And that thing is used every Sunday by many people. But again... You gave. And it still brings great joy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so now we're, you know, we got a, a driveway and a new sign coming up. This is not a pitch for money. It's just, I can't wait to see how God's gonna do this. You know, what I'd love to be able to do it again with no loan. You know, Jesus said it's more, get, more, more blessed to give than to receive. The word miserable is built on the word miser. Did you ever notice that? Just just a thought for you there. People who are stingy, people who are a miser, they hold on to wealth. They won't they won't give. You know, and, and really misers are pretty unhappy people. You know, they're pretty unhappy people. They're self centered, they're not God centered. Let's move on. Second Corinthians chapter eight. But since you excel in everything, oh my goodness, in faith, speech, knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel, I haven't met, and I haven't really met too many people that want to excel in this grace of giving, but he tells us to. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. You see, when we're utilizing, when we're managing all the resources God supplies for the glory of God, for the betterment of his creation, as a matter of lifestyle, it's proof of my love for God. When I live like he's told me to, when I manage it, it proves my love for God. You can, you know, you can give without loving. You can give without loving. You can't love without giving. You really can't. Think of the people in your life that you love. You give. It's just a connection here. Matthew chapter 6. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth, none of that stuff destroys, but where thieves don't break in and steal. You see, when it's a matter of lifestyle, it focuses on the eternal rather than a temporal. It said, and I, you know, I, I read this somewhere else, so I, I, I'm going to take it that it's true anyway. It said that when Alexander Great, the Great planned his funeral, uh, that he was laid in state with his arms up and his hands open. It was to show that although he had conquered the known civilized world, he left this world with nothing. I have done hundreds of funerals, and one of the same similar things I have noticed with every single one is everybody left it all behind. Everything. 
I go to auctions every once in a while, and, and it's a very humbling experience for me because when I go there, I am seeing people's lives uh, being sold for a table for three dollars, a table full of stuff for three bucks. I was working in my garage the other day, and I thought I, I got this row of clamps, and you know, I, I explained to Ginny again yesterday that you can never have too many clamps, right? Get an amen out of that one. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, they, they, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I paid 10 bucks a piece for those. That's, you know, I hope my kids don't sell them for two bucks a piece. Yeah, but the, if we, 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 we leave it all behind, you know, we, we do. John 3.16. Uh, for God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When it's a matter of lifestyle, it makes us more like God. We are more like God when we give. Some people said we're most like God when we give. Back to where we started, Luke chapter, three, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When it's a matter of lifestyle, I get blessed in return. Getting blessed is not the motivation. I am not preaching a prosperity gospel. I don't never have and I never will. It is not that we give in order to get. That's not, that's not what it is at all. It's talking about a lifestyle. When our lifestyle is a matter of utilizing and managing all of the resources that God provides for His glory and the betterment of His creation, we get blessed as a result. You see, it's a matter of lifestyle. It's matter of life, and it's a matter of a lifestyle that looks like this. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from the one who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful just as your father is also merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's a matter of lifestyle. Let's pray.